Welcome back to Paddlecast, everybody. A very special, uh, quick recap episode today. We're going to look back at the month that was in stand-up paddling around the world. What happened in January, even though we're a good week into February, too, almost. But better late than never, folks. So I've got a very special guest with me today, Paul Jackson from One Ocean Sports. We are here in the house of one, of course, the hosts of the Sup Racer podcast studio. Jacko, welcome to the show, mate. Thanks, mate. Good to be back. Uh, not sure how special I am, but uh, I think I'll, we'll get it done. Always always a special guest, mate. You're the voice of the people. They love to hear your bu- brutal honesty, I think, Yeah. without worrying who you're going to piss off along the way. Yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> just twist that microphone around, just like me, about a fist from your face, Joe Rogan style. So it's been a, um, January was a big month. It was a big start to the year. It used to be the off season. That doesn't exist anymore, clearly, because uh, the two biggest races in the world are December and January in winter in France, Paris and the Glagla race. So we're going to have a chat and a bit of a look at Glagla, the first big international race of the year and what will go down as one of the single biggest races of the season, period. 630-odd paddlers on the start line. Absolutely amazing. Beautiful sunny day in the Alps. It was a hell of a way to start the year. And it'll be good because you were there and I was watching it live through... Did uh, you learn some French while you are watching the live stream? <laughs> yeah, maybe lost, learned a little <laughs> bit of French, but we'll, I guess we'll get to that little that point. But uh, minor, minor detail in the live stream that it wasn't actually in English, but yeah. um, it was an amazing event. We'll definitely be able to cover, you know, you would have had the experience from being there and... And I get the experience of watching it, and uh, look, it looked amazing. But um, yeah, it was definitely one of those. Good Do you think it's a sign of? I mean, it's almost an obvious question. This is a sign of where the sport is, right? The Glagla, to me, kind of sums up the sport right now. It's gone. We the early days, it was you know the the fun and the hype and the excitement of the bop. Now it's kind of gone towards this mass participation on the flat waters away from the coasts. Yeah, it definitely seems so. Like six hundred people can't you can't deny the the numbers are talking. And uh, when you look at a race like that, you know it's it's got so much appeal to it that you know you can go and grind out in the flat, and you've got the scenery of the back, like good backdrops. It's um, amazing scenery. Yeah, just from what I could see online, it was one of those amazing places to just go to. And I think that's the that's half the appeal of why why these races are getting six hundred people. So uh, when are you going to be at the Glagler? You and Ange going to be there next year? Uh, There's a few one boards out in the water. Yeah, potentially next year we could be could be heading that way. Can you? Uh, Go on, on, let's lock it in now, mate. We've got a. Uh, they've already announced the dates. They've already announced the date. I'm. We're looking this way today. I, I changed the cameras. They've already announced the dates for uh, Glagler 2021. It's the same weekend, the third weekend of January. So uh, add it to your bucket list if you haven't already. It's uh, absolutely amazing. I cannot say enough good things about that event. He said that they speak too much French, but minor detail again. We'll see you there next year. Uh, there's a high chance of it. Let's let's put it that way. Maybe maybe more Ange than, than me. She loves it cold. Yeah, there's no fall race at Glagler. No. Have you? Uh, are you going to do another sup race in your career, or are you retired? You're no, just definitely got uh, Euro Tour coming up. So, but are you uh, going to just do the foil Euro Tour or the sup? Uh, no. Well, the foil race is one day. Sup race is the next. So. So you got no excuse can, for not can do both. I still train every day for sup racing, so why not? It's uh, might as well. Sometimes I wonder if you just train to keep in shape for foiling, though. Uh, a little bit, but um, you know what? To be honest, I actually quite enjoy the flat water grinding side of it now. So um, 
look, I've, I've got no issue with doing a couple of good flatwater races. It's whether I win or not anymore, maybe we'll see. But you're still enjoying your paddling after all these years? Love it. Yeah? Yeah. How get many up. years have it been now? 13? Yeah, 13 years. Get up every morning, 5 o'clock, go for a paddle. You know, you don't get up at 5 in the winter if you don't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a caveat, our winter is about 20 degrees Celsius. It's um, like most people's summers. It's not too bad. But you are extraordinarily committed. Then you finish training at five. You come in here to the one, um, the house of one. What do we call this place? And uh, you work on the brand all day. Pretty much, yeah. And it's paying off. I'm seeing a lot of one boys around. They're getting out there. It's, uh, it's definitely one of those growing and it's a slow growing process, but it's kind of grows at the pace that, that we're happy with. And um it's sometimes better slow growing than trying to, you know, launch it too quick and gets out of control. So, um, we're with where we're at the moment, we're pretty happy with. Yeah. No, good stuff. You guys are doing a good job. I actually got a bit of footage lined up. We are talking about Glagla. Um, this, this footage to me sums up the race. It was the, uh, the first 30 odd seconds and just absolutely extraordinary. Like look at the background, those snow capped dramatic peaks, and 630-odd paddlers just charging off the line. Is there, is there another race that actually has a start like this? There's This is unique. I mean, it's now technically this the second biggest race in the world behind um, Paris. Paris, I think they advertise 1,000, but if you look at the finishes, there's about 760 in Paris. This one had about 620. Um, the Corinth Canal race in Greece has about 530. There's a big one in China. Um, completely unknown, that had about 500 last year. There's actually a gathering in St. Petersburg that has over 1,000, but it's just kind of like a you know, fun down the river. It's not really a race. So there's an asterisk on that one. I'd say Glagolas number two, but you're right. This start line is the biggest in the world because Paris and um, definitely Corinth are constricted. They're on canals or uh, rivers. Whereas we're on a huge lake in the Alps here. Um, the, the lake's about five kilometers wide and people spread out. This line is almost a kilometer wide. That's the crazy part. Like just looking at the the start line, it's um, oh, how awesome is that? Like, you know, people say sup racing is dying and then you go and look at this and you're like, what are they talking about? It's tripping. Yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty good advertisement for the sport right there, Glagla Race. Um, they got, those guys do pretty much everything right. It was an interesting live stream though this year. Um, I think everybody who was a French speaker that watched it was uh, really enjoyed it because it was 80% in French. But um, those who were watching in English maybe struggled a little bit, which I apologize for. Quite yeah. enjoyed watching you getting kicked off and then come back. Get kicked oh, off. that was uh, that was doing my head. I wasn't aware we were going to be doing mid-race interviews until um, basically the first interview happened. And then the producer whispered in my ear, yeah, we got about six of these lined up. And uh, I was, there wasn't much I can do. I was very grateful because we were working with a local TV station, Huit Mont Blanc, 8 Mont Blanc. And overall they did, why are you on screen? Change to me. Overall, they did an amazing job. Like they came in with uh, five different camera angles. They had live drone. They had producers. Everyone was setting up the audio. Like My job was so easy that I actually got too complacent, and I didn't give them enough instructions, I think. like I was like, they've set this all up for me. I just have to you know, rock up and talk. And I gave them a few instructions. It's like, all right, we need a lead boat here on the men. We need a lead boat here on the women. Don't leave them the whole time. Have another boat on the mid-packs. If you want the fourth boat to go to the open race, that's okay. But, you know, focus on the longer event. Make sure you're always on the leaders. Um, and things just got lost in translation. And then you saw the 600 people on there. It was just hard to find the women. So we really 
screwed up by not showing the women. Um, but yeah, I think for those watching online, it was just there was a lot of French language. Yeah, people, a lot of people learn how to speak French watching Glagla. You know, you could you could probably see the potential that actually was what that was there for it all. And from my side, looking from you know the live feed, it it was actually you could see that how good the setup was and how close it was to being just amazing. Um, yeah, look, camera angles were off at times and they were following the wrong people. But the, when they did get it right, it was actually a good, really good broadcast. So, mm. you know, you can always look at the negative sides, but hopefully we take away the, the positives and, and you know, that, that event's going to grow and grow. And if they can just fix that one little piece up, that's... Yeah, I think technically, like, they did their job very well. Yeah. Um, they just needed more guidance, I think, from me about what to follow. And they, they did get a little bit lost following the open race instead of the pro race. But overall, it was amazing to work with those guys. And the crazy thing is, like, that's a t proper TV station, but they didn't have like a million dollar production truck. They had, everything was done mobile. There's a special mobile software, like a French company made it. The whole thing is done. I'm going to try it out um, at some races this year. Basically, everyone was just walking around with phones. Like the, we were getting filmed on an iPad. The whole thing was a mobile production and it looked, you know, looked pretty, pretty classy. Yeah. Maybe, maybe the uh, one big thing from my side that I looked at during the race was, uh, and as races and stuff, we've got to make a decision eventually whether we want to be filmed up close or we want to be filmed from a distance from the boat and the effect of the wash. Uh, like yeah. It, it's, it still kind of gets to that point, you know, where, where really you could just sit there and do it off your phone and just follow in a boat from the distance that they're filming. You can't see what's going on anyway. So Yeah, that was I they were getting too close, and then I told them to back off, and then they backed too far off. So you're right. We're going to go to make a decision, like especially for the athletes. The athletes have got to decide, do they want to be filmed or they do they want to have a fair race? Because if the boat gets in there, look, it's going to create wash occasionally. You know, as long as they're not sitting on the wash or the boat does vary at speeds at time, maybe we can come up with a better solution. Because at the moment... It's it's. I'd rather have a nice, close, filmed-up race mm. and sacrifice a little bit in the wash side of things from where I look at it. Um, just because, you know, one of, I don't know, it's a hard situation because you don't want to win a race on a wash if, you know, it's a lead boat, but we also want to be filmed and the, we want the exposure. So mm. I'd, I'd take, I'd say that boats should be involved in it and we just do our best. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, there's a happy medium in there somewhere. Definitely a contentious issue. Caused some uh, some minor controversies over the years at various yeah. several events. But it's we're on a lake. This We don't own Lake Arnsey in France for that day. They don't shut the lake down. A boat could come, you know, even if it's a couple of kilometers away, could speed around and cause some wake. And then you go to places, I mean, Carolina is notorious. Like you're going down on, you know, a waterway that's basically a highway. There's so many boats going up and down there. So you can't control these conditions. So to sacrifice a live stream just to try and make it a little bit more fair, I think is silly. Like we should get the boats as close as possible without making it, a you know, without giving anyone a free ride. Yeah, without just a deliberate where you're pulling a leader away or something like that. The boat really could probably smash past, create a few wobbles, pull a pack, and then the pack and paddle past. And then you could just vary it around a little bit. You know, if, if you're sitting there and everyone's sitting on the wash, then yeah, just stop. You know, and everyone will paddle past yeah. and you can sort it back out. It's, I think there's a simple solution to it without overcomplicating it. Um, the the toughest thing for me is always I'll, like, be very respectful of the lead pack. I won't sit in front of them. Like, when I'm out there with my phone controlling the boat, I'll try and sit towards the back of the lead pack. But then there's a guy or 
the man or woman, go girl, 50 yards behind and they're getting a free ride. And then everyone in the front pack is complaining that they're getting a free ride. I guess. And I'm like, well, if I'm going the same speed as you, at best, they're not going any faster than you. That's right. And if I stop, you're not going to be on screen for the next 20 minutes. Like, what do you want? Yeah. And, and that's right. Everyone's happy to whinge about it without really coming up with a, a decent solution. So mm. I, in my opinion, I think the solution is you just deal with the boats, you know, yeah. and, and you just take it. Like if someone gets a free ride, you get a free ride, the boat will do its best to get out of the way, settle it back down. It is what it is. Mm. But at least you're going to get on camera. Um, yes. Yeah, so the guys behind, if they're getting, you know, getting a free ride and the 50 metres back, then the 50 metres back, you know, we're not going to gain by sitting there at the same pace anyway. Yeah. So I think drones can help as well quite a bit, but uh, it's not. It's not a perfect answer. They got to, you can't fly a drone for more than 20 minutes before you got to go and change batteries. No. So we're going to have to have boats in races. So I think paddlers are going to have to accept that there's going to be some kind of... I think we're doing more damage trying to regulate it mm. and everyone's too freaked out about it than if we just let it have a bit of a free game and, the, and we just say, look, we do the best we can. If the boat comes over, it's not going to purposely help somebody mm. on purpose. Yeah. You know, and if somebody is, then the boat driver just stops and everyone paddles around. As simple as that. Yeah. yeah, and it, it's up to the athletes to an extent. Like if there's a boat wash, they've got to decide what the rules are. Is it a free-for-all or a gentleman's agreement? Because yeah. for a while there, they were like, okay, we're not going to – no one's allowed to touch a wash. And then a couple of races later, it was like, screw you guys, it's free-for-all. Like it seems to – you know, the athletes are obviously going to be selfish. You're trying to win a race. Yeah. But they also need to decide what – like where do you draw the line? Like can you sit behind a boat 50 yards back? Is that going to be cheating or – no, What's your take? It's, it's simple. Like, uh, you know, if if you get on the wash, no worries. It's it's a free – everyone's happy to do it. Um, if you miss the wash, then everyone's going to get upset. So, mm. really, it's a skill involved in it. And uh, um, I think it's just part of the skill of sup racing. You know, it's what can actually make our, our sport exciting for a race like that, which sometimes can be a little boring to watch people just cruising in a flat water race in a train you know and, and sometimes mm. a boat going through changes the whole dynamic of the race and that's part of the race if we just accept it as part of the race it takes that whole problem out of the scenario straight away you know the one of the most amazing interferences i saw from a uh, boat wash was it the corfu race in greece which um Palau promise was gonna be a downwinder and was the flattest race i've ever seen it was just sheet glass but we're in the ocean we're in the greek islands we're in the um, wide open expanse. Like any boat from 20K's way was going to produce a wash that day. Some, uh, I don't know if it was the media boat or just a private boat, went past and made a little wash and all the guys tried to chase it. But they were kind of going off on a 30 degree angle off the line. The whole front pack went that way. Boothy saw it, ignored the wash, went inside and just sprinted. And by the time the guys had corrected course, Boothy had already got a lead of about five board lengths. So they're like, shit, we got to cut back. So he actually <laughs> ignored the boat wash and um, won the race that way. Yeah. So it was an interesting little twist. You know, maybe if someone's sitting on the wash on purpose and it's just sitting behind the boat, I think there was a scenario a while back where James Casey, not to point out James, but... Of the anyway, Japan race? The Japan race. And where he, you know, I've never seen footage of that race, but I've heard the stories. I've heard all about it. And, uh, you know, from, the, from what we were told, he won by 5Ks or something. And that might get a little bit ridiculous... I think so, the story was it was him, Danny Ching, and Kenny at this um, random race in Japan, but there was a lot of money on it or something. Yeah. So they were basically, they really wanted to win. And a boat came past, they all jumped on it, and um, Jimmy said he didn't realize that Danny had fallen off or 
you heard stories. I think ways. maybe Danny caught a caught a boat wash earlier, but didn't quite get far enough away. And then it came, another one came, and Jimmy got it, and yeah, ended up so far away that the race is over because of the, just because of a wash. So you know maybe there's there's just that you know gentleman's agreement that you're not going to ride it forever or or stuff like that. It's just a but if it is in the way, if the, and if it's a lead boat, you know, if it's a random boat, it's a random boat. What are you going to do? He might be on. Jimmy, are you on the live stream? Let us know what happened in Japan. But um, yeah, boats, I mean, we could make a list of how many times boats have interfered. There's the famous one in um, Tahiti where Boothie and I ended up getting in a bit of an online, not a debate, that'd be too polite for it. We basically got an online fight about whether or not um, Marcus would had got assistance in the Air France race. There was a very, very famous time um, in Fiji at the ISA Worlds, just blatant, where the ISA media boat, this massive, big uh, boat, drove straight towards the finish line. And gave, I think it was George just had this perfect wash. And he went, he caught up to Arthur. Then the same boat wash knocked Arthur off. And so George just went from, I think it was either fifth to fourth or fourth to third, whatever it was. The French were up in arms. They lodged a protest and it created this diplomatic incident on Facebook between the Tahitians and the French, um, all because of the ISA media boat. So there's been plenty of instances um, where the boats have totally screwed things up, but I think we have to accept that they're a part of the race. Yeah, look, I'd, I'd much rather see the action and have a good media package afterwards than watch little tiny dots on the screen where you can't make it out and you're hoping that someone actually is watching it to tell you an update because you know you spend all this time getting the media for this event and all of a sudden mm. you can't see it anyway yeah you know why not just get the boats up right in there you know if someone's washed riding the boat too much or it's interfering too much just stop the boat everyone paddles past reset it try it again different angle you know sit just back from the lead pack but nice and close mm. give the guys at the back an assistance who cares they're back there who, you know that's their problem for being back there they get a rest whatever yeah i think it's up to us like the people that have a voice in the sport to kind of put together some kind of little mini guide or instructions for the yeah. events because a lot of these like when i was uh, in europe last summer a lot of these boat drivers are just volunteers they're like mates of the event organizers like can you come drive I'm just doing some the best Aussie they can. they're like they're stoked to be out there they're not getting paid they're just volunteering they've never seen a sup race before they don't know that a guy 50 yards behind can actually get a free ride from him so they're like you can't ever go at them Maybe the maybe the biggest issue there is the boat can actually sit beside the lead pack and mm. give the guys at the back a bit of a free ride, but when the boat goes to accelerate off, it just doesn't accelerate off because that's you got to do those sweep. I think that's when you got to do the big arc out. So you kind of like go ninety degrees yeah, perpendicular and then you speed up or stop for a little bit, let it settle, and then go out and around. Because mm. I think that's when the problems really come is when you you are giving those guys at the back an assistance. And then the boat speeds up to go and get another angle. And yeah. he drags those guys from the 50 metres back to the lead pack. So he does change the aspect of the race. If they don't speed up or they go out, it's not going to change that aspect. It's a simple, simple solution. Yeah. No, it's a very interesting, uh, it's an interesting part of the sport that we don't, we never seem to, uh, we haven't found a solution to yet, but I think it's pretty simple. Yeah. Look, it didn't happen at Glagla, so, which is the race we were talking about. But That's um, right, Glagla. We're talking about we, January. We, were talking we about got Glagla. a little sidetracked. But this was meant uh, to be a quick, quick podcast before right. and we, haven't started we go for a sunset foil. Um, Glagla. So Glagla was the first big race of the year. Absolutely amazing, amazing event. I've actually got a little bit more footage here. We'll just replay that if you just joined us uh, one more time. The intro, the uh, that 30-second teaser. I posted this on 
one of the Instagrams already, but uh, this is just the most extraordinary footage. This was the start of the race as 600 people launched off the line with the Alps behind them. It looks pretty warm. It was actually a lot of people overheated. The name Glagla means, it basically means freezing cold in French, but it was plus five. It was blue, sunny skies. And um, most people were in like dry suits, like subskins or neoprene, which is not a good thing to race in. Uh, and a lot of people actually overheated. A couple of guys I talked to afterwards said they jumped in at one point just to cool down. So um, it was, it didn't really live up to its name. It was too hot. And I think look, we're, we've seen enough through the broadcast that we actually worked out what was going on. And once they found the leaders, it was actually, it was actually good enough. Obviously it was a little small. Maybe the boat was too far away. You can see they, here, there's the two boats. They're like, they're keeping their respectable distance, but they could get closer. Yeah, for sure. There's no one actually even sitting behind on, on that shot. So the boat could be right up really in their face. Like I'd, I'd love to see a camera on a pole right in there in the paddler's faces a little bit you know yeah let's get like one of those big fishing rods and just dangle it out yeah. right in front of them right in front i mean a drone can do that but it's a little it's a little dangerous you need a good drone pilot to fly really close to people you can see here this was um it's against actually the law. it's against the law i think mate i mean we're up in the alps we can do whatever we want up there but this is my buddy slava from ukraine sent me this footage he's from the rapid crew and uh they he just filmed like the last seven minutes perfectly but this was the lead pack. And you can see this is actually interesting because uh, the live stream, which overall I thought was very good, except that it was too much in French. The big mistake I made was I called the wrong winner. Yeah, Ty, Ty won it, didn't he? A minor, minor detail to say that um, Ty Johnson was the winner. And I looked, I looked around. We were at the finish line, but facing away. I turned around. I was so excited. I just been screaming for like 60 seconds straight. Ty's going to win. Ty's going to win. I look around and the T2 is charging over the line. I was like, you fuck, you got to be kidding me. And you got to be honest, like when you're watching the foot, watching it back, Ty looked pretty strong throughout the race. Like he was, like right now he's leading, he's pushing hard. He's actually doing a lot of surging. T2 was sitting back a little bit. He, he actually never looked super comfortable. Like obviously he's comfortable. I don't know how he won that race. That's and him. That's T2 on the NSP, the unmistakable fluoro blue and green. There's one at the front and one at the back of this pack. It's Ty at the um, front, T2 at the back. We'll just skip ahead. Towards the finish here, there's the um, some of the boys that were top ten. But yeah, if you skip ahead here, I think they missed the boy turn. But um, T2 basically went at this boy turn here. He went from sixth to first in. There you go. He's surging up the inside now. All the boys did this wide turn. He got this magic inside turn. Went straight to the front, and we cut away on the live stream. Then come back to the drone, and I was like, oh, I can see an NSP. I can't make out who it is. It must be Ty. They were wearing similar clothing, paddling similar boards. Probably a mistake. It was, um, yeah, innocent mistake. But I was, I'm still haven't forgiven myself for that one. But here is the actual proper finish of Glagla. Here we go. T two charging here. That's Leo Nika behind him. Tom O'Bear was on his tail. Solid again. Like Leo, some reason every year he comes out just solid. You know, he's that's his third runner-up finish at Glagla. Three times the bridesmaid, and his cumulative total of losses is about six seconds. He's, he loses by one or two seconds every time. It's painful. Um, it's almost it's almost funny if it wasn't uh, you know a serious major race. But here you go, T two, and here at this point he just starts pulling away, and he's only got about fifty yards left. He wins by about three boards. Mm. But Leo did very good. I was impressed. Um, Tom O'Bear always looking good. Martin Vitries back there in fifth, just behind Ty Judson. He did very good. I think that's Norm Weber off the back in sixth. He was runner up last year. He's a real dark horse, Norm Weber. 
That's a pretty close pack for the whole race. Like that was actually, uh, as far as a distance flatwater race, that was pretty exciting to keep the whole pack together mm. and um, actually not have anyone break away through through the race. So, um, yeah, as far as from watching it, from what we could see was pretty good. Yeah, this, it was a pack of 12, then about halfway through these six broke away and they stayed together, as you can see, pretty much to the finish. And T2 wins by a few seconds. Leo, Tom, uh, Ty, Martin Vitry, like big names. It was a competitive field. And uh, but I was really excited to see some of the dark horses. Norm Weber was up there. Renato Kieras, I don't even know how to pronounce his name. He's from Portugal. I think he finished eighth, seventh, or eighth. Never heard of the guy. On the live stream, I remember if you watch it back, there's a moment where they get a really beautiful close-up shot, and there's two NSPs. And I was like, all right, there's the two NSPs of um, T2 and Ty, and then a third NSP comes into frame, and I was like, who the fuck is that? Who's Ergo. the third NSP? Ergo, Ergo Clay, will it? No, it was uh, it was this Portuguese guy, Renato, Renato Kieras. I really don't even know how to pronounce the name, but um, there, was a, there was a tight pack, like with a lot of riders for a lot of that race. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good race. So that was a very cool way to start the year. An amazing event. I'm gonna already chalk it down that the Glaglar is gonna be the event of the year, just in terms of its scope, its scale, the atmosphere there, the fact it only costs like forty bucks to enter. It's so cheap. Like they're doing it the right way. Why are you on screen? Keep forgetting to press the space bar. It, they do it the right way. It's cheap to enter. It's accessible. It's flat water. Um, it's a bucket list. You know, you're in this cool, amazing spot out there in the Alps. Everyone goes skiing the day after, yeah? We actually do. I was in France for 72 hours this year. Sorry to the environment. Um, and the day after, we all went skiing. It was amazing. I was up in the mountain with Fiona Wilde and um, Martin Letourneur and all the young French kids were up there. So that's the cool thing. We talk about these destination races. I think Glagla safely ticks that box because a lot of people go there um, just for the snow. I remember Trav went a few years ago and I said, Trav, you know this is a flat water race. What are you doing here? I was like, oh, I just want to ski holiday. <laughs> so a lot of people use that as an excuse. They'll come in a few days early, stay a few days later and um, go up in the mountains, which as you can see from that footage is right next door magic and you get away from the cities like I was, I was yeah you know, fresh air race and it's and the environment you want to race and it's bloody magic breathing fresh air like that it is that's the freshest air up in the air it's amazing it's almost if it's really cold it was warm this year but when it's really cold it's actually almost too cold like you're breathing in freezing air some people uh, in years past have raced with these special it's like these little special kazoos you put in your mouth and it um, warms up the air. You're selling it to me again. Yeah, it's a good race. should do it. <laughs> the, the girls on the Glagla, Fiona, Sonny. The, um, the women was, it was not deep at the pointy end, but we basically had the three best women of last year or three of the top four ranked women there. Sonny, um, Fiona and Olivia. Interestingly, Olivia didn't finish third or top three. There was a dark horse in there, Fanny Tessier, who's a name to watch this year. She snuck. I think she's ranked 20th in the world now on my list. And um, if you follow the sport closely in Europe, you would have heard the name. But I'd say the majority of people listening have never heard Fanny it, Tessier's name. It was a close close third too. She kept up with them. She kept up with Sonny and Fiona most of the way. In the end, she was only, a, I think, a minute max behind after an hour and a half of paddling. Like yep. She did really good. But Sonny, Strong. looking in pretty good form. Yeah, those races, I think uh, it's it's hard to go past Sonny when it's a, just a big, long grind race like that. It's, um, you know, with 
with with Annabelle out of the way for now, it seems mm. like Sonny's definitely going to be one of the strongest workhorses when it comes to uh, distance flatwater racing. So I'd say Sonny's about as basically unbeatable in those, you know, like an hour, between one and two hour flatwater grind. Sonny's kind of like Boothie at the moment. Because mm. you see Olivia was the dominant paddler last year, but she couldn't keep up with her at ICF. And um, Glagla, I didn't think she was trying that hard. It was the off season for her, but... I think if Olivia can't match Sonny and Fiona couldn't match her at Glaga, then no one can. It's going to be a tough year for, for the flatwater races, for the girls, if Sonny's turns up. I yeah, think. and that's the crazy thing. Sonny hasn't been that serious about it for the past 18 months. Like, she dominated 2018. She was far and away number one. But 2019, she had a pretty light schedule. She only raced at a handful of major events. But when she And she said she didn't really train that hard. Um, and I believed her because she was getting blisters on her hand when we were together in um, Thailand for the 11 Islands. She's like, I haven't picked up a paddle for two months. Like, I'm getting blisters. So I don't think she's training all that much, but she's just such a naturally powerful athlete that if she gets in some good conditioning for a few weeks, she's always going to be hard to beat. Yeah, it would have been good to uh, maybe have a bit of filming and a bit of footage from the girls in that race and just see how much, you know, leading that Sonny did and Fiona, you know, it's... It was one of those things, you know, if Sonny led the whole way and then still put away at the end. That's, well, I can that's, tell you what happened. That's pretty dominant. I can tell you what happened. Unfortunately, we didn't see it on the live stream, but um, I heard from both of them afterwards and basically Sonny led the whole way. I think they were jockeying a bit at the start, but Fiona, Sonny led the whole way. I think there was about a kilometre to go and she even turned around and said, basically, we're going to race now. And uh, Fiona pulled off and she couldn't keep up with her. Yeah, that's a dominant performance. <clears throat> Very dominant. Big shout out also to um, the winners of the Red Paddle Co. Spirit of the Event Award, the Flamingo team. I can see Audrey from uh, Switzerland is on the live stream with us. The Flamingo team always adds a bit of flair to the event and uh, kind of helps sum up what makes Glagla so special that it's not about it's not about the T2s and the Sonnies. It's just about everyone that gets out there and has well, fun. With that live cast, we actually got to look at a lot <laughs> of the, more, the amateur and the the weekend warrior paddlers, you know, obviously because they were a little mixed up. But in that meantime, we actually did get to see a lot of the behind the scenes, yeah, you know, which maybe usually get a little overlooked. So, and the flamingo team, the flamingo team got on the live stream. I, I remember yep. giving them a shout out. But no, it's just all around an amazing event. So if you haven't got the uh, impression already, you probably should add Glagla to your bucket list for twenty twenty one. Dates are already out. Moving on from Glagla because this was meant to be a. Um, 30, 40 minute podcast and we're already well past that. The next one, INX, INX. A race that basically nobody outside of Australia could possibly have heard of. Most people in Australia didn't even hear about it. A very, very interesting race. It had a $100,000 prize purse on one single race. That's Australian Monopoly money. It's about 70 grand US. It's very, very big. It's like the second biggest prize purse in the history of our sport wasn't purely a sup race though. It's basically a surf life saving event, which is racing for lifeguards. We call it Iron Man, Iron Woman here in Australia. So it's an Iron Man event, but they uh, they mixed it up this year. They um, they switched it up and added sup and CrossFit to basically try and win the rate, like get some ratings back. Yeah, it was an exciting. You know, actually, you had to pay for it on uh, Ko or which is just an app. Uh, like, Service to watch it to watch it or so on cable yeah so we signed up obviously for a couple of weeks free so we just <coughs> signed up and then 
took it off. But yeah, <laughs> um, but it was actually you know what? To, funny enough, to watch the event was actually pretty exciting. The concept is, I think it's like there's nothing new with bringing a bit of footage here. I'll play. Keep keep going. Nothing new with putting a bit of CrossFit into like sub racing and this kind of racing. Um, I think um, it's been done. Chuck Chuck did it. Mm. The big net and yeah, the he it was this part here where we don't have the that reminded me a little bit of Chuck's yeah, um, so what a warrior. It's not a unique event, but it's actually a pretty exciting event. And to watch this actually was pretty exciting. Um there was probably some there's some negatives that came out of it as well, which probably can go into after. But as far as the racing side, you know, look if you're a stand up paddler doing this event, you you weren't definitely not gonna win it. So uh, we had Boothy and Lincoln. Um, <laughs> grueling. Uh, and uh, and J- Jimmy actually did the event, and Boothy did all right. I think he got seventh. Um, yeah, you can see the results. Whoop! If we go back for a second and just try to pause yeah, that, I think, actually had yeah. the results on screen real quick. Um, Dominated by the Iron Man. I mean, it was it was probably yeah. They, there's no <laughs> suppers in the top six. There was Jackson Maynard who we had on the show recently. He's done a lot of sup racing, but he's an Iron Man. Boothy was right behind that in seventh. Lincoln was doing well, but. He messed up one of the CrossFit parts. Yeah, look, Lincoln's an Iron Man anyway, so he was he actually came out of the um, the prone board in second place, I think, and then he actually did it pretty good on the monkey bars, and uh, but he fell off at the end, which really made him suffer because all of a sudden he went from second to nearly last. Just the way they had it set up was probably not the the mm. best way, and you know it didn't really reward the guys who did well on the CrossFit stuff. You know, a lot of guys got to the end and then fell off. Uh, Boothy made it across. James made it across. And a lot of the Ironman just jumped on the bar and then slapped it once. And and this part here. Wait, can I pause this here? This was interesting. So they basically did, it was like uh, five disciplines, right? They had the prone paddleboarding, surf ski, and swimming, which is a traditional Ironman, Ironwoman race in Australia. Then they threw in SUP. And then CrossFit or like the beach games, the beach workout, whatever you want to call it. So there's five different disciplines essentially. And this one I thought was interesting here. It was like an underwater breath hold. What was this? Because I didn't watch this. I was in the mountains of Vietnam when this was happening. Um, tell us how this looked when they did that underwater part. This was, that was actually pretty exciting. Uh, obviously for spectators on the beach, it might not have been that great. But for the uh, watching it on the... On the TV, it was actually pretty good with the underwater stuff. Uh, and actually, the man did it pretty Here. well. The, you know, the first one was pretty short. Um, so between those two red lines, they got to they swim out and then have to swim underwater. Yep, and they're not allowed to come up. Like, basically, they've got to go the whole way under. can't come up. If they come up before the second red uh, marker there, they actually have to do a penalty swim. And you the penalty swim, there. Once, if you do the penalty swim, your race is over. You it's can see there, like, the pink and green dots underwater there. That's guys holding their breath after they've just done a uh, probably already 20 minutes of the most insane and physical. They, they would have got to this can already out of breath. You know, and, <laughs> and then most of them, uh, like Kane, he just went up. He just went straight under and straight across and smashed it. Some guys didn't make it. If you didn't make it, penalty swim, like an extra 100-meter swim. So, um, yeah. yeah, it's it was not. And then the second time they came around, actually, it was nearly double the length. Yeah. The underwater. So basically it was just 30, 40 minutes of torture. Yeah. Actually, I just saw James Casey, Jimmy, just jumped on the uh, the live stream. One of the elite invite-only athletes that was up there. One of the few sub-recognized athletes along with Lincoln and Boothy. I think Jimmy was the only guy in the whole field to actually make the monkey bars twice. He might Ooh. confirm that or not. But um, yeah, right. every other 
guy in that field came off the monkey bars and had to do the penalty run. Yeah. Which really was... was Why am I on screen? Which is kinda, I keep forgetting to which switch. Is kinda, which is kind of a little crazy at the end because it's... Um, well, suddenly all the guys are such good beach runners that the penalty run was really nearly an advantage for the guys who just fell off the monkey bars. Can so we... Um, I wonder if we can get Jimmy on the phone. I want to hear... I want to get a quick word from him. Yeah. This is... Um, this is untested technology here, folks. Might as well do it. We're just going to, um, I'll just loop this video for a second. Keep telling us your impressions of INX. I'm going to try and get um, Jimmy on the phone. Yeah, Jimmy, if you're watching that. the live stream, I'm going to call you in a second, mate. So basically, uh, you know, it was, it was interesting to see what, what guys and girls have, have uh, practiced on the stand-up as well because the stand-up was really the unknown for a lot of these guys and girls because it's not one of their stronger... Discipline. So, um, Kane, he, he came out and he actually looks super strong. He'd be a scary athlete in the sub world, I think, if he um, crossed over. Uh, but you could tell that most of the guys probably could work a little bit on it. Uh, Boothie made up a bucket load of ground. So, um, how you going on that phone? Ringing him yet or what? So, well, you've, it's gone off the screen there, mate. You might want to put it back on. All right, forget it. Jimmy, I'm going to have to set that up better next time. I'm going to try and call him in. But, yes, yeah, so this is INX. It's a um, – and talk a bit a little about – it was, for some reason, it was actually controversial. Yeah, but the, the worst part, and especially from, from where I sit with it, was a uh, great event. I actually really enjoyed watching it. Look, there's definitely improvements and stuff for the first time. The Really, the downside was it was shown on the local news the day after it, and – the only thing shown was a negative side that the surf clubs were so against it and all the, all the top athletes were basically just didn't want anything, a bar of it, trying to ban it um, against tradition, blah, blah, whatever. Um, you know, look, geez, if they don't want it, we'll definitely take the 100, 100 grand over in the sub world. Um, but it's, it was just disappointing all over the media. That was the only thing about the event was the negative side of it. And, you know... So I'm sure surf life saving. So just but just step back a bit. This is they're basically they're changing what is an extraordinarily traditional sport. Like this is a very old sport in Australia, big history, and this isn't the new series. Like they still got the regular series. This was just a one off, but it is basically, I guess, the purists yeah. saw it as kind of an affront to their traditional sport. Yeah, for sure. And look, I I think surf life saving Australia wouldn't want to bring this in unless their sport was in trouble somehow, and they wanted to you know, make a way for these professional athletes to have a career. You know, if if the if their sport was doing so well, why would they bother even looking at this? You know, it's not like the early days of the Ironman racing when the Trevor Hendys and those kind of guys were racing and the money was flowing and and that. Nowadays, it's obviously a harder work and, they, and they're trying to chase the sponsorships. And this was probably an avenue where they could get different sponsorships. You know, it was exciting to watch. I don't watch all the Ironman racing, but I actually really enjoyed watching this. Um, there's probably definitely aspects that could be changed to make it a bit more exciting, and maybe maybe make it a little more fair for outside athletes to come in if they want if they want that side of things. You know, if you want to get the crossfitters over and uh, sup paddlers over to actually have a chance at winning, you know, if you if you weren't an Ironman, you were, you were definitely not going to win that race. Yeah, I want to um, I want to try and get a uh, see if we can do this, folks. There was a uh, a very interesting quote from Jordan Mercer. Who is uh, she's she's someone known for um, known to the the paddling world. She's done a few sub races, but she's an absolute queen of 
uh, Iron Woman Racing of Surf Life Saving in Australia. She comes from extraordinary, like the most famous family. The Mercers are um, royalty in Australia. And she, uh, she had some interesting things to say. So I'm just going to... Um, just going to try and bring that up. Great to read it. Like, really nice to see it. Really open-minded. You know, like, a lot of it comes across to me as a small mind. You know, it's, uh, you know, someone who doesn't want to just think outside what they normally do and, and can't see potential for growth and the, of what it could be, you know. And it's e- too easy just to shut something down and whinge about it rather than try to think a little bigger and where it could potentially go in the future. So, yeah, here's the one from Geordie. We'll try and... Um zoom in on this but basically she's just saying she goes on and says that it could be like it'll be remembered as a catalyst for resurgence in her sport which is a huge um a huge call but uh, i think she's one of the paddle like one of the athletes who gets the potential for you know innovating the format and i can definitely understand that the clubby athletes that don't want to innovate because it's a traditional thing and you don't want to make it a novelty and kind of lose the history and the prestige just to chase a few ratings. Yeah, but I think this is only, you're really looking at the, the top end side of it anyway. No one's looking at replacing, maybe in the early days they were, they were looking at doing a bit more SUP involved. I think they got the hint that that wasn't the way to go. But now it's as, as a side thing for their sport, it looks amazing. But really, I think the negative feedback is going to end up squashing it. And an amazing photo as well. That's um, How good is it to see people hurt? That's uh, Geordie is just an absolute warrior. There she's on the sup. Quick blade paddle in hand. But, um, oh, that just looks painful. But anyway, I, um, I'm going to get Jimmy. He's, uh, he's just responded. He's going to jump on the live podcast. So we're. Come on, Jimmy. Groundbreaking technology here, folks. Come on in. But uh, he said he just got in from a surf and he needs five minutes. So that's, um, that was INX. What, I want your opinion because you've been at the forefront of innovating sup formats. Forget what happens with INX, whether it continues or not. What can we bring in to SUP from that format? Yeah, look, if we want to go down that length, that, that path with that kind of format, and it, and it is an exciting format, like, um, like I loved it. So for me, I would personally, I'd get rid of a ski leg. Um, the ski leg for me in that kind of format doesn't change enough in the race. It's, the format's too short for the ski leg. Uh, quite a hard craft to learn. Um, for a lot of guys who want to maybe transition into the sport, um, you know, it's for me. I look at this concept and think I want to bring in crossfitters, sup paddlers, um, and all those you know the prone guys and uh, the athletes like that. But you've got to make it fair so that if they aren't strong and sup or bored, that they can make up that ground in the crossfit area. You know, and it's got to balance out. At the moment, it didn't balance out. It, the the balance is all in favour of an Ironman, which was yeah. fine for the event they did. <laughs> Who is that? That's Louis, Kendrick Lewis. Um, but it, I think it did show the potential. You know, I'd, I'd also make the beach transitions a little harder. Like the that sandbag run, I'd make the sandbag run longer through the crowd, zigzag it through the crowd, make them carry the sandbag the whole way, stuff like that. So you're basically taking the pain in their face and putting it in the middle of the crowd. You know, you want to you want to put that, There's some pain that, in that, that face image right, right there. there. You want to put that, but you want to make it so the crowd and the TV picks it up. So, you know, 25 grand, you don't want to, you want it to be a hard day work. <laughs> that just, that just looks painful. Yeah, no, I mean, yeah, there's, <laughs> there's a lot of money and a lot of, um, I mean, it's on, it's on national TV. There's a hundred thousand Australian dollars on the line. 
This is a serious event. You can't make it easy. Yeah, like if they drop off the monkey bars, instead of having a penalty run, they go back to the start and they do it again. If they can't do the monkey bars, they don't finish. Simple as that. You're like, we're not talking about, you know, the person who trains one day a week. These are professional athletes. If they can't get across the damn monkey bars, then what the hell are they doing? So give me a, um, as we bring up the results, this was the results from the men's race and the women's. So um, do your perfect, uh, your perfect SUP racing format with this in it. Just give us the elevator pitch. Uh, look, I'd, I'd definitely keep the, uh, the swim, make the swim shorter. Uh, basically, be on just out from the surf break. Do the underwater legs. So, what's we, the first? Leg? We start on the beach. Uh, start on the beach. I think they had the had the right, basically the right formula. Start on the beach. Start with the board. The board keeps people pretty tight together. You know, it's a it's a discipline that you can pick up fairly quick if it's if the race is short enough. Um, even though if you watch Jimmy, he got smoked off the start at the board leg. But um, but it is you know I think Jimmy's probably done two weeks of paddling and he, was, and he was able to similarly keep he up. He was a last minute invite. Yeah. Speaking of Jimmy, I'm going to try and get him on the line. I want to hear um, a first-hand account. Let's see. Can you hear that? I, can, I, can hear that. I think Ooh. everyone can hear yeah. that ringing. All right, folks. Yeah, hello. James Casey, James. welcome to Paddlecast Live, mate. You're here with myself and Paul well. Jackson. We're, Thanks for having me. This is revolutionary technology. We're bringing you on live. This is. This is like um, talkback radio. We've been chatting about, it as is. you probably heard, you were on the live stream a second ago. We were talking about INX. Give us your take. You were um, one of the very few people who got to experience it as an athlete. You were one of the 13 guys out there. Just give us a rundown. How did it go? Oh, man, I was basically completely out of my comfort zone. Um, never done board, swim, ski race ever in my life. So I was, um, yeah, I was called up like three weeks out because someone else had got injured or pulled out. And um, it was a super fun experience. Um, I, and I, I'd, I'd love to do the next one as well. Just the, um, the obstacle course was kind of super fun and the whole thing, the whole atmosphere was awesome. Um, and I got so excited watching the girls race, like, watching, you know, Jordan had a good start and then she went for the monkey bars and, like, fell off and I mean, she was all the way at the back of the pack and then she missed the swim on the outside leg. So, like, Jordy had a kind of, like, a bit of a shocker, but she still came, she still managed to be able to come back by the end. So it was, um, I think the whole concept is pretty cool because it, it just broadens the, the horizon, I guess, for the, mm. for the Surf Life Savers. Those Ironmen are super, super talented athletes. Yeah, those you know, boys are those boys because, are pretty fit, huh? Yeah, and, and but because they're in their like surf life saving bubble, they're sort of everyone's fit in that. They don't realize how fit they are compared to other athletes. I feel <laughs> so. So they would you say these are like, like, like even like? I was going to say even compared to like Boothie, who's you know he's a machine. It is our off season, but like Boothie got he wasn't even in the never even in with a shot of winning it. Mm. You know, and in the stand-up, obviously a very different race, but it was a distance race, that sort of, you know, 30 to 40 minute sort of race, which is something that, you know, generally, you know, they do pretty well at. Um, so it was, so no, basically it was, it was super interesting. These boys are just on a different yeah. level with fitness, would you say, or well, were you pretty well, close? We were in their playground, you know, so mm. we were doing races that they're used to doing for that style of racing. Yeah. 
for sure. And I'm kind of surprised, you know, guys like Jackson Maynard don't do better at the sort of technical race sort of side of things in stand-up when they do do it. But yeah. maybe stand-up's a little bit almost too long because, yeah. like, our races are, you know, you wouldn't do a run leg in a tech race every five, six minutes. You do one every probably 10 or 15. What could you borrow? Like we're out in the water for the, what would you borrow from Iron X? What would you borrow from this format and bring it over to a traditional sup race? Like to make it more of a, you know, a sup race for stand-up paddlers, but bring in some of these elements, what would you bring in? Oh, the other two, of course, for sure. <laughs> it was sick. Yeah. It was fun, you know, and, and it was a real leveler. Like you could, um, the way that was set up, there was, you know, there was strength, like with the tire flips. And then there was the, the, the monkey bars and the rings, which was kind of more suited to, I guess either guys that was like upper body strong or lighter. So did and you, it was the we, net crawl, which you could gain or, but that was the, the, so you were saying? Were you the only, only one to make the monkey bars, Jimmy? I wasn't. Oh, yeah, we're, wa- yeah. we're yeah. watching it on your Instagram now. We're watching yeah. the monkey bars. Look at that. This is Ninja yeah, Warrior I was style. the only one to do the monkey bars twice. Um, okay. A lot of people, like a few people, probably six or seven people did the monkey bars, but only once. Um, even the world champion chin-up of the world guy, Kane Eckstein, couldn't couldn't get through. And it was the reason the reason I got through is because I really did not want to do the beach run. <laughs> what was the penalty? What was the run? It was like a, it was about like a four hundred or five hundred meter beach run, so up and down the soft sand fly. But for those guys, um, for those guys, the beach run is is just an everyday occurrence. They they, they do that in part exactly. of the training, so it's easy for them. So the penalty yeah. wasn't that big because they, they were taking the penalty. Like they wouldn't even try the monkey bars, and they would just run the penalty out. And the reason that was was because if you tried the monkey bars, and like I was saying about Geordie, if you tried the monkey bars and got all the way to the end of it and fell off on the last the last rung of the ropes or the, or the last last ring. Like Lincoln did twice, yeah, Link, Lincoln. the penalty was doubled basically because you didn't, you, you, you wasted all this time to try and get through and then you had to do the run as well. So you may as well have just fallen off on the first one. Yeah, so, so you could kind of game the, the system. Yeah, so the idea world, they just yeah. get rid of the penalty run and just if, if you fall off, you go back to the start and do it again. Yeah, I reckon they should have forced everyone to at least attempt it three times. Yeah. And so even if you fell off on the third one three times, you got it was still the penalty and then, and then if you got to the rings, I think you should have done half the penalty run because then you would have seen a lot more people <laughs> go at least for the first bit because the first bit was very doable. But people just, with with wet hands, it was really tough and that was the only thing. It wasn't the sun cream anymore. It was just, if you didn't stop to dry your hands, you were never going to make it. I um, I practiced it a fair bit beforehand because so I got there um, on the Friday and they, they'd set up and on a Saturday. I practiced Saturday and Sunday. And with wet hands, it was near impossible. With dry hands, it was a piece of piss. They, so they what was I, spent, I spent a fair bit of time drying my hands before I did it. How was, it with, how was the crowd on the beach? The crowd was massive. It? Like, yeah, they were getting into it. And like there was afterwards, there were like young kids coming up and like asking for photos and high fives and, and like just everyone in the pub up the top of the, the little bar and in all the grassy area. All around, it was the biggest crowd I've ever competed in front of. I, sure. heard, I heard the same thing. I heard the crowd was out of control for the event. Like it was, there's no more room around the events. So, like it, it definitely had a had a really good appeal. It was on a good weekend. Obviously, I think Australia Day weekend. 
So, yeah, um, yeah, which helps. But but I think the fact like the obstacle course all weekend that was a major attraction. People were just like, you know, everyone sits on the grass there at Moolabar anyway. I think, but with the obstacle course, there people are you know sort of what's going on here. And a few people were like sort of when I was when we were practicing, we went wearing neutral game stuff. We'll just been like I was in boardies and t-shirt, and so we were going through the course, and then people would just come down from the grass and go over to go, and the organisers have to like security have to sort of shoo them away, kind of thing because it. Yeah, right. You know, it wasn't, yeah. So it was, they had themselves. Just like the whole attraction, it was it was like a big, you know, if you had that for a sup race, a big obstacle course, even if they didn't know what was going on, like no one even cared what was going on in the water. You couldn't see. Mm. But with the obstacle course, you could see what was going on and it was super exciting. And like the, the monkey bars, and like it was crazy watching the girls when everyone, whenever a girl like didn't just jump off and do go for a penalty run, like people like watch like, oh, oh. Oh, like when they almost fell off. Like it was, it was so, it was exciting. I was pumped watching it. Like I was saying to some of the guys beforehand, I'm like, dude, I need to calm myself down. It was really good watching the, the girls race. And, so, so you think um, we've, got, we've got 12 towers coming up. You reckon we should, uh, in the technical <laughs> race, put some beach obstacles in the, in the middle for the race or what? I'd, just, just put the monkey bars up, mate. That'll, that'll help me a bit. <laughs> what, who was uh, most impressive from the non-sup paddlers in the sup leg? Um, Kane looks strong. I was so, to be honest, I was so far behind I couldn't tell you. Like the, the swim after the swim, I was not even in the in the race. Oh, I was. You were, I'm, you I'm not a bad swimmer. I didn't think, but they're all like freaking professional swimmers, basically. <laughs> and um, <laughs> you you had a last minute call uh, up, but, right? Yeah, I did no swim training. Put it that way. Yeah. Um, <laughs> how was that? Um, how was the other like, 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 that's why I was swimming slowly. <laughs> Yeah, that I, I made both underwater legs. I did about that's the training I did for my swimming. I just, I just went out in the ocean and swam underwater, and went to ocean pools and did underwater stuff. That, that was sort of all the training I did for swimming. That second underwater, um, that second underwater lap was actually quite a long underwater lap. And you know what the hardest thing with the underwater was, which you wouldn't be able to see from the video, is was the, the clarity of the water. You couldn't see um, a meter in front of you, so you, you mm. would have seen everyone sort of skewed off one way or the other. I ended up swimming. It felt like 30 meters. I went so far to the left, so outside the can, that like I usually so I timed it with my strokes. So I could in a pool or in the, in the pool, I could do six strokes, like breaststroke arms and like a kick, and that was easily 20 meters. For that for that second underwater leg, I did I think it was eight or nine breaststroke strokes. So I couldn't see where where I had to go, and um, I really didn't want to have to swim any longer than I was already. Um, but the, yeah, the clarity was horrendous. You couldn't see, you couldn't see your hand in front of you. And a few things like that was obviously the first one I'd done. There's a few things I could change and you know, obviously the monkey bars we spoke about, but also just having, um, like maybe even lines or, or like ropes above you. So at least you can swim straight and you can, um, mm. know if you're coming up and you're into something, maybe even a neck. So you, if you were to come up. You can still breathe, but you know that you haven't made the distance. Yeah. Um, we, yeah so it was, we got a photo of you, the one you posted on Instagram, the first one of you is, um, looking pretty stoked at the finish line. What was the feeling like yeah. just just finishing something like this, just being part of it? How did it feel? Oh, yeah, it was it was awesome. Like I was, like I said, I was a long way behind, but my, my goal with three weeks notice or two and a half weeks notice was to not come last. Um, not in my – like – the person I ended up beating was Lincoln, which I never thought that Lincoln <laughs> was going to come last, to be honest. And he just had, he kind of 
spiralled out of control with all the penalties. He just, mm. I think he panicked a bit after he got his first. He one. was in first or second um, at one point, right? Second. He place. was right up there, and second. he went for the, and, and that's when he came. We went for the monkey bars, and he fell off on like the second last mm. ring. And so then, I then mean, I finished the monkey bars, and I came out in front of him. Yeah, um, right. which is crazy. Um, and then he then he he got he got every single penalty he could get. He didn't make it the two times underwaters, and he didn't get the two monkey bars. Um, with trying to get them. So he almost made both of them, but didn't, um, which was, you know, I, I felt sorry for him, to be honest. Has there been um, any talk about sort of the next INX? Have they said anything to you guys yeah, about... Well, we had like an after-party kind of thing, and you sort of unofficially, they were talking about having um, like a mini-series next year. Of multiple um, INXs? Yeah. So I think they said three, but... It would, you know, nothing was set in stone. It was just sort of talk. Yeah. Um, that was Mick Porra's plan. He wanted to, and then that's that's why when he invited me, he said, "Look, I don't care how you go for this one. Obviously, you've had it's very short notice." Mm. And he said, "Look, just come along and you'll learn a lot. Yeah. See." And I'm like, "Yeah, of course, I'd love to be a part of it." And you know, I was. It was. I'm so glad I did it because it was really a super fun um, event and. I actually, I'd never paddled a ski before, like a surf ski. So that was my first race on a ski. Jumping in and, the deep um, end, mate. Oh, <laughs> tell me about it. And so for the last leg, Lincoln was close enough that he could have caught me on the ski. Yeah. And I was like, come on. <laughs> Man, a little set came on the very last can on the on the last end, on the second part of the end. And um, I sort of, I'd mil- I'd sort of learnt to paddle a ski from um, Reese, the guy that makes the boss skis. Um, he lives in in Sydney and I did a bit of training with him and he he um, helped me da- downwind I was by the end of the two weeks I wasn't too bad but yeah. punching into it my technique just sucked but my timing was okay when I was paddling with the bumps and there were a few sort of lumps that go, got, sort of came along with me and I managed to rate up onto them my stroke would have been horrendous like, I just, it just felt like my stroke was horrible but if I got the ski moving it felt really good so I've actually I'll probably do a bit more of the ski especially if there's going to be um, a three sort of event series next year, which should be, yeah, it'd be, I'd be pumped if that was the case. Has it um, inspired you to do different fun. kind of training just for SUP? Like, if you can you yeah, bring in like any of these clubby techniques? Yeah, well, like even just like the tech race track, because I trained with Manly Surf Club for, um, I did like three or four sessions with them and just the sort of the tech race training that they do. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's really fun, to be honest. Like, in and out through the ways, that's what I've always loved. Um, just coming from a surfing background. Uh, it's fun training. And it's, you know, it was a very different vibe training with the Surf Life Saving crew compared to the SUP crew here in Sydney, at least. Whereas the SUP crew are mainly, you know, the youngest after me is about, well, there's one other guy younger than me. And then the rest, you know, the, the median, the demographic's just different. You know, most of them are 40 plus. Whereas most of the surf life, surf life saving guys are under 40. Yeah. So it was kind of around people more my age, which was, you know, was nice. <laughs> I'm just looking at your, uh, um, just looking at your um, Instagram now. Moving on from INX, you're going to be back up here on the Gold Coast in a few weeks, right? Something very exciting. Yeah. yeah. We're doing the follow-up. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm you're, the, you're the face of the I'm, event. <laughs> Yeah, I just saw the photo. I was like, oh, that's pretty sick. Maybe, I'll share that. <laughs> maybe maybe we should uh, just mention as well that Jimmy and Marcus just did 100Ks 
in oh, yeah. Perth uh, on the foil. Yeah, I was about to. I was about to say um, my, my legs will need a rest between now and then, but I think I'll be ready to look at a foil again. <laughs> are you? Where are you right now? Are you in WA or Sydney? I'm, I'm back in Sydney. Are you st- no, I just flew back um, after the after the mission. Are you still Jimmy the Weed Casey? Oh mate, ask Marcus. It was a bloody. It was. We were weed magnets. But I don't know what's going on in WA, but Marcus, the reason he hadn't done it earlier this sort of summer, that his 90k foil was because the weed was just so bad he couldn't do more than 2k's along the drummer's run without having to stop. Um, and we, we actually changed the course. Instead of finishing at Hillary's, we, we changed it to finish at uh, Mandra. We started at Bunbury. And um, we got, you know, we sort of got the, launched the boat and went out into the, a little bit further out to sea. And as we jumped in the water, we could see all this ribbon weed. And the look on Marcus's face was like, this is not good. This is really bad news. And sure enough, the first 30 to 40 kilometers was, you know, Jacko, you know, times wise, like what we're doing in, you know, around King of the Cut. We didn't do a kilometer under three minutes until I think it was the 30th kilometer. And we were doing like mainly 330s. So it was hard probably work. our average. Yeah, it sounds painful. Oh, mate, it was seriously hard work. But just back back up a second. What was all this for? Tell everyone what this was for because it was for a bloody good cause. Yeah, so we, yeah, Marcus sort of um, back when the bushfires were happening, I guess a couple of months ago or a couple of weeks ago, um, sort of seems like a distant memory now that it's been flooding. But now when the bushfires were all happening, Marcus wanted to do his bit to donate and he you know, didn't have a lot of money, didn't have as much money as he wanted to be able to donate. So he said, he doesn't post well on Instagram, but he posted saying, I want to foil for the fires. I'm proposing I'll do 90Ks and I want to raise um, 2000 bucks. Yeah, I think, he said, I think he said 2000 he wanted to raise um, to go towards, um, you know, the bushfire relief basically um, in, you know, all around the country really. And I, when I saw him, I said, mate, I want to do it with you, but I'm all tied up with this INX thing at the moment. Hopefully you do it later than that. So I was always going to try to get there with him and do it. Um, and then when it ended up happening after INX, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm in, let me know when you're doing it. And so it all sort of happened. And at the moment we've raised over $5,000. I haven't checked actually today, but it was 5,000 after, after we did it. And um, it's like, still going up and yeah, let a lot of people, you know. So people can still go uh, and donate, donate for this year. Yeah. People can, Chris yeah. Can so go up. to Marcus's or, or my, um, Instagram yeah, if you had to, um, if you had to James Casey on Instagram, I'll put a link in the caption after this. Hit the give now link if you're um, you want to be part of this. I'll get him a few more followers. Yeah, come on, Jimmy, you got to hit 10k. <laughs> on, mate. It's not a real Instagram. To mate, hit 10K. I know. When you, when you, when you post the paddle league, doesn't you know the Instagram account to get 10? I'm like, oh, I'm still, <laughs> I'm still learning. <laughs> no, mate, it was um, an absolutely yeah. extraordinary effort to foil 100 kilometers and. Um, we yeah, have. actually, Marcus was only trying to do 90, and I said to him, mate, if you do a 90, surely you go 100. He yeah, goes, what was that all about? How did he pick 90? Because he measured from uh, Mandra to Hillary's, and it was 90Ks. And I so heard, that's, that's I, the run I, I wanted, that he wanted to do. I heard he actually didn't really mind. Like, the 90K mark, he was feeling pretty good. 95K oh, mark, mate, he was, was feeling pretty good. Rick, I mean, you should have seen him. He was like a kid he was frothing at the mouth he's like this is awesome we're going for 100 <laughs> and, then, and then the last <laughs> and two- so we got to hall's head and and he was like no we're going we're going so he set the boat in and we we kept going and um 
at about 98 k's, he just fell apart. Like the poor, poor bloke, he would have had, I think he had a, a mask full of weed and the conditions were still epic, but a mask full of weed and it's going to ruin you. And he, he was so tired that he couldn't stop because if he was worried if he stopped, he wouldn't be able to get back up on the foil. So he, he, um, I got, I got to my distance and I knew he was at a hundred. So I went in on the beach. I could, I saw him out there and he, um, you know how Marcus is through sure he's Jacko, not the best. And um, there was a pretty big swell running and he got absolutely smashed in this jury at Singleton and just swept all the way down the beach. He lost his hat and I sort of ran down and got his hat for him. I'm like, mate, well done, we did it. And he was just a broken man. <laughs> yeah, no, that was definitely a, uh, a good effort and um, definitely for a good cause. Yeah, well done, mate. 100Ks for charity. And uh, especially after you backed it up from INX, that's two massive events in the span of a couple of weeks. So... Big start for the year for you, and we'll see you in a few weeks. Yeah, been a fair bit of cross towers. training, huh? You're going to be bloody hot favourite for the twelve towers. The amount of training you've been doing. Oh, I'm not sure if two weeks here and a hundred k's <laughs> there counts, but <laughs> well, it should be a good race anyway. It's going to be a hell of a crew up here for the twelve towers in a few weeks. I'm going to be live streaming it, so yeah, um, you can watch all around the world as Jimmy and the crew hopefully get some bumps all the way along. The coast yeah, so I was going to say, fingers crossed for some wind. <laughs> it can be an epic downwinder or it can be an absolute grind either way. And also foil race for the 12 Towers as well. The foil muster. Foil muster. Yeah, it's good. And foil we've picked um, Peasy and the crew that organised 12 Towers have very wisely picked a different day for the foil race. So there's going to be a foil race if it goes as planned on Friday Avo afternoon. And um, Saturday is going to be the SUP downwind race because a lot of events around the world seem to be making this mistake, which it's an innocent mistake. The sport's very young of foiling. But they put the foiling on at the same time as SUP, and all these crew jump over and go, yeah, I'll do the foil race. But then it kind of cannibalizes the SUP. We saw it at the Gorge. We saw it at yeah. Molokai. So good. that they, Like, for me, at Molokai, people ask me, oh, what are you going to foil next year or what? And I, I'd love to foil it, but I'm not going to not stand up paddle it. I've worked too hard to get where I am in stand-up to just go to a foil race, I guess. But, mm. And same with um, the Gorge as well. Yeah. It's on at the same time. So it's, yeah, it's Brad initiative from um, 12 Towers and hopefully a few other events follow it. Yeah. Yeah. We all want to do it all. <laughs> for sure. For sure. It's going to catch on this year. Like already Europe this year's uh, a lot of the races have got four races as well and they have already separated the days. So, um, yeah, it's, it looks like it's already starting to happen. And I just spoke actually, I just as got long off- as they give. As long yeah. as they give foiling the, the benefit of them all, that'd be great. <laughs> I don't I don't think you've got that priority just yet, but um, it's, it's definitely good to see foils get their own um, spot. I actually just got off the phone with the crew in Tahiti. Big news about Air France. Could be We could be foiling in Tahiti in April. You going to spill that now? Um, going to wait? Why not? There's going to be a foil race at Air France. Actually, there's a lot of changes to the Air France Paddle Festival. It's going to have a much more of a downwind vibe this year. Uh, but you'll hear more about that Ooh. later on Sup Racer. So, Jimmy, start looking for flights to Tahiti. There's going to be a foil race well, and a downwinder. What are the dates? Uh, 4th of April, the 4th of the 4th. Get over there, That mate. could even work. Yeah. yeah. Foil uh, there. Let's do it. All right. Um, <laughs> on that note, mate, I'll, uh, we'll let you go. Thank you very much for joining us live. And um, yeah, have to do this again sometime. Me. Yeah, that was a yeah. pleasure. I'd love to. Yeah, well, cheers, guys, and keep up the good work. I've been following them all. Cheers, mate. Good hearing Trav's one the other day. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's always he's always entertaining. We'll have to do one. You have to get into the studio when you get up here. We'll do one in person. I'd love to see it. It looks epic. Yeah. yeah. I'll um yeah I'll be up probably the week before 12 hours, so I'll touch base for sure. Perfect.
All right. Catch you later, mate. Right. See you later, Jimmy. See you guys. All right, there you go, folks. Just some revolutionary technology here on Paddlecast. <laughs> that so seemed to work. Maybe just a little bit uh, back to 12 Towers because it's, it's probably the next event on the uh, calendar. For Yes. Actually, there's one more missed, race I want to touch one. on. So we've had Glagla, we've had INX, we've had Jimmy's and Marcus's crazy foil for charity thing. Uh, there's one more race. Uh, just went down in Florida, Palm Beach Paddle Fest, I think was the name. Can we get the results up here real quick? Because there was a bit of an upset. Yeah, Danny, second. The um, there's like a there's a crew over there in Florida that just seem to be the kind of the driving force of the sport at the moment is um, the flying fish crew. It's uh, it's kind of similar to one in many ways. It's a, we call it like the boutique brands, like the smaller brands, um, and they just have this cult following over there. The flying fish crew. And they've got pretty much all the best paddlers in Florida are, um, on their boards. One of them is Eri Tenorio, who's from uh, Brazil, but he spends most of his time in Florida now. And he pipped Danny Ching mm. on the weekend. Yeah, didn't see much footage from the race. A little bit I'm of a start. trying to get the results, but... Uh, seen, seen a little bit of start. Looked like Danny had a good start, actually. And uh, a lot of skis mixed in there. Um, looked like a bit of a race. But actually, to be honest, the numbers look pretty solid as well. So it was mm. good to see like another race... With good numbers, um, Flatwater Race again. Seems yeah. To be, seems to be a bit of a theme with the numbers side at the moment. Um, Here we go. I'll get the Flying Fish page up. They've got some uh, – they got a couple of shots at the finish line there when Ari and Danny had their – where is it? A close finish. That's still Marcus and Jimmy. What's going on here? Well, um, yep, I'll get that up for you in a second, folks. Jacko. You fill in the blank. Fill in the blank. Well, it's a little tough because I didn't see too much on this race. But, um, look, I guess... You've raced with Aerie yeah, before? Uh, no. Definitely raced with Danny a lot before. And, um, look, the guy's an animal. Um, yes. like, when I seen him at the start of the race, I, to be honest, I didn't really think anyone was going to touch touch Danny. He's, he's just, just that kind of guy who can probably beat anyone on his day. You know, you've got to look at him and he's as fit as anyone. Um, There's the shot that I saw Flying Fish post. Um, that's like the, it was a tight finish. It's not like he smoked him. He basically just sprinted past him at the end. Um, but he was a deserving winner and he had some great results. That's Eric Tenorio on the right. He had some amazing results in Europe last year. He's really coming on strong. And if he can, um, go toe to toe with Danny Ching, one of the greatest of all time, then man, he could be one of the dark horse picks this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's an early, early season, uh, victory for him for sure. Like, uh, match Danny. You know, you're similarly on the pace there somewhere. Yeah, I'm just going to try and find another one of the shots here. There's a great shot from the start. Here it is. Can we get this going? It looked like a um, an amazing, amazing race. It was the um, the Palm Beach Paddle Fest, I think it was called. And uh, I'm going to get another shot up on screen from the start. Look at that washing machine. Is Florida, Florida seems to be one of the strongest communities in the sport. I don't know what it is about Florida, but California, we've really noticed, has dropped. But Florida seems to be just as strong as ever. Here's this great shot. Steve Miller posted this one, another one of the Flying Fish crew. I think that's Steve uh, right in the middle <laughs> of that washing machine. Um, you can see there's a bunch of those Flying Fish boards. And, uh, it's definitely one of the a, a start like that, you know. It's great if you're front and kind of sucks <laughs> if you're in the middle a little bit. But, but that's what the fun is. Like I bet all these guys in the middle – as much as they kind of hated it right there, just loved it. Oh, like yeah, it's, that's part, that's that's part, part of racing. racing. Yeah, that's part of, like, you know, 
when you eat shit a little bit, it's it's all part of it. And uh, yeah, like the little bit of video I seen a while back of this race, the start was hectic. Yeah, so, and that proves it. Yeah, that's what it basically, Steve. Um, that's what he was saying in his caption there. He basically said it doesn't always start out the the way you pitch it, but if you rely on your training and you can um, focus on the finish and get through it, it was a great day of racing, spending time with this uh, paddle community over there in Jupiter, Florida. Big congrats to my teammates, Flying Fish teammates, Eric Tenorio and um, KSB. Oh, of course, Kim Barnes. So Kim Barnes won the women's race and um, Eric Tenorio won the men's. So Flying Fish crew will be pretty happy with that. And um, good to see the sport going strong. That's two big races. We've had Glagla over in France. We've had um, this in Florida. Good start to the year. Yeah. Don't see many one boards there. I'm going to have to try and change Get that. Get into the Florida market. Come on. It's a big, uh, definitely. Yeah. It's got to be the biggest market in America. I mean, California. What happened to California? Yeah, good question, eh? I Pe- mean, obviously the BOP, BOP and the PPGs yeah. disappeared. There's a big hole. I, but I, you know, I, actually, there are still some races there. I think I've uh, seen a racing around the little harbour there. Actually, looked like I had some solid numbers. Yeah, I was actually at that one. Yeah. I totally forgot. AV, Anthony Valor, one of the OG legends from California, put on the Dana Point Harbour hoot. Yeah. And you're right. That kind of, that gave it a big spike in Southern California. That was the standout last year. There's a bunch of local races all around Southern California. There's still some up in San Fran. Like, I think it's all there. Maybe it's just those big major races aren't there anymore. And mm. so it kind of gets forgotten about, which, and really the community is still there. Everyone's still paddling, but just... You're not, you're not seeing it because the PPG is not there now, so it's not in your face as much. Yeah. Um, but definitely, like... It, the numbers have dropped off, though. Numbers have dropped off, I guess, but it's everything is still there. Maybe it's just a little more scattered now, and mm. um, it's it, it's due for a comeback. Would you like to see the bop come back, or do you think it's had its time and we need to move Oh, Maybe on? maybe not at the moment. I think we could... Like it, I think the sport's focusing on certain areas at the moment and it needs to really grow its grassroots a bit more. Mm. Try not to jump too far ahead again. Um, That's the crazy thing. The BOP was grassroots at a point. Yeah, like it, in those early days, it had that massive open race and people just loved to be there and then it kind of lost its way. And Yeah, it, it jumped 10 steps ahead. And, yeah. you know, it's easy to do, I guess, with events and you want to, you know, attract the big money and the big riders and stuff like that. And, and, you, and you forget about what you started the event for. Mm. Um, so maybe, maybe we just the people we doing it for the people. Yeah, just focus back on the people a bit more. Get the glass and that build the numbers back up, build the platform there again, and then those races might come back and come back stronger than ever. Mm. Well, Glaglar in Florida clearly doing it right, and uh, hopefully we're going to see some good numbers in a few weeks here in Australia. Numbers are looking good. Uh, Twelve Towers is coming up. Yeah, like, you know, heaps of guys have been hitting me up for trying to get boards and. Yeah, you know, and so it's a good sign, you know, and it's really when, you know, I think uh, Peasy's out of boards. Everyone's out of boards already, and it's, you know, we've got guys mm. coming from New Zealand and Tahiti maybe and Newcal and uh, I just so got a just message today from Canada saying, is there any boards? Japan. Coming over from Canada. Yeah, a couple of Japan riders coming over. I think Kenny potentially might come. His baby's due at the same time, so. Oh, that's right. Um, yeah. yeah. I think he's pushing it up there on that one. Yeah, his um, where are you? So the Twelve Towers. If you're not familiar, it's this um, epic race in Australia. Where was the one I posted of Ty Judson a few weeks ago? I want to get this on screen. Here we go. This is the one of Ty Judson. This is basically the downwind conditions we can potentially get in Australia here on the Gold Coast, like five minutes from where we are sitting right now. It's absolutely epic. 
It's either epic or just epically hard. Or it can be extraordinarily grinding the yeah. whole way. But it's always a fun race. Like you're racing along pretty nice open beaches. You know, if the wind's on. Last year was a tricky race. The year before was a tricky race. Um, yeah, look, it's a, but it's a fun race. You know, you're racing past some of the best surf breaks in the world and uh, some of the best... Yeah beaches and if you if it's a northerly run we're going past surface paradise and you know backdrops will be just as crazy maybe not like glagla but a different scale yeah no it's a very good event 12 towers 5th to 6th to 8th or 5th to 7th of march first weekend of march it's gonna be live streams on the paddle league we're gonna do a foil race we're gonna do a downwind race we're gonna do a beach race bringing the bop style racing back and uh, it's just gonna be a good fun weekend so if you're anywhere in australia get down to it if not you can watch online before then, we might sneak over to New Zealand. The ends of nationals are coming up in a couple of weeks. That's going to be a pretty one of probably the biggest event in New Zealand. That's the technical side, technical race. Yeah, beach race over there. Then we've got um, Air France coming up a few weeks after 12 Towers, early April. That's going to be very exciting this year because why are you on screen, Jacko? I'm talking. I got to get a producer. Anyone want to be producer for Paddlecast? I keep forgetting to press the space bar. So there's a few big races coming up. Basically, we got to wrap this up. I am dying in yeah, here. Yeah, it's a sweat box. We got to get. I got to install an air conditioner in the blue room. Do we know an air conditioning guy? Oh, I think we. Might, I think we might know <laughs> someone. But um, anyway, folks, we're gonna wrap this up because it's almost sunset, and I was determined to get out in the water for a foil before it um, gets dark. It's happening. No. I'm gonna get down there to a secret spot. Anyway, folks, thanks for listening. Uh, thanks, James Casey, for joining us. Huge thanks to Paul Jackson from One Ocean Sports for not only joining us here, but also hosting the entire studio that is um, Supracer's podcast room. And, uh, yeah, lots to look forward to this year. We'll have to do another one of these. Yeah, excited. All right. But, uh, let's get it going. And finally, of course, big thank you to everybody who watched online live or if you're listening to this on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen, maybe even on YouTube. Subscribe if you like the show. We're going to keep these going every few days. We're having fun with it. So um, I think we'll wrap it up there. Sweet. Cheers, guys. Yeah. Oh, it's hot. Oh, yeah. <laughs>